I want to share from John chapter 14. It's one of those chapters that, and I say it straight, that very few people understand. Um, in fact, uh, many people just simply avoid them. They are the last words that Jesus gave before he goes to the cross. And he's introducing us to the very reason of his being here and the end goal of what it's going to mean to us that he's here. But I say tragically, we've, we've missed it. In fact, for many people, the first verses of chapter 14 were sold to the undertaker, and um, they just read it when it's time of death. In fact, this is talking about the beginning of life right now. But let me read it. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Do you remember the old King James, gave that ghastly translation of mansions? that gave the impression of um, sort of a real estate heaven. Uh, um, and the word that is there, I mean, I sort of know how they get there, but the actual word, it says in this version, dwelling places, but the word is the same word that is used all the way through these chapters as abiding. Why they've just, they don't do it here, I don't know. But it means in my Father's house are many abidings. There's many abiding places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know the way. We don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. And I could keep reading, but that's the essence of those first verses. And I, I am arrested not only by those first verses, but that cry of, of the Thomas, but he was summing up how all of them felt. <clears throat> we, we don't know the way. They hardly knew who the father was. They, they said, who are you talking about? even though they'd heard him talk about the Father for the last three and a half years, that they'd looked from afar, they, they couldn't fathom him. And, and so here it comes as this cry, we don't know the way. And if we knew the way, who is the Father that we're going to? That's the cry. And I find that is echoed in the church even today, 2,000 years after this. They still are crying out, who is the Father? What's the way to the Father? The gospel that many of us have been exposed to has no mention of the Father, except that he's that dark figure somehow behind Jesus I'm not too sure about. Um, but Father, Jesus continually referred to his Father, and now he's introducing that Father to us and is describing what is to be known as the Christian life 
in terms of a relationship to the Father. Now, now just hold it. What do we mean when we say that? Father. As soon as you say Father, you are saying someone that has children. You, you can't say Father to a single man who has no children. Um, a father is one that has children. Immediately you say father, you're talking about a parent. Hold that in your head. You're talking of a parent. You're talking about the origin of life. You might say you're talking about the genesis of the children. When they say father, there's my origin. That's where I come from. That, that's my anchor point in my life, my origin. Now he is talking of God as being Father. I mean, hold that. He, he is saying that at the center of existence is Father. Now, now realize how far off we've gone that people get excited that in some schools they're allowing teaching on intelligent design as if at the center of the universe there's a brain and, and, and it's now intelligent. Um, that's sick. I, I, it, it's, or, or what we, we find in religion, God Almighty. Um, there's no such thing as God Almighty. That's the invention of the religious mind. At the center of all existence, from whom all creation comes, is father which means that at the center of all existence is the passionate love of god father and we are created that he might pour his love upon us and you can find that in very simple things it doesn't take very long have you noticed that all creation blossoms blooms in health on love that's I've said it before, if you've got a doctor that's worth anything, as soon as you go to them, they'll begin to question you about your love. Is there bitterness? Is there envy? Is there anger? Are you going through stress and feelings of alone? Because that is going to destroy your body. Because even a good medic will tell you that at the center of all health, is the realization that you are loved and you are in the process of passing that love on and receiving that love. This creation works by love. Have you noticed, and I don't want to be stupid about it, but I, I, I do it on a regular basis. Uh, do you talk to your plants? Do you love your plants? I have a love affair with all plants around me, um, all birds, all butterflies, um, I actually experimented aeons ago, took part of my garden, I didn't talk to it. Uh, and I, I spoke to the other half of my garden and told them they were beloved of God. They had come from the Creator. He had blessed them. And that half of the garden blossomed and bloomed and the tomatoes were twice as big and the other poor half of the garden died. And, and, and I, I said, I'll never do this again. My poor little garden has died because I didn't talk to it. Um, Stupid, I suppose some people would say so, but I say it again, creation works by love, works by love. If you don't hold a baby and love a baby, it will die. Works by love. The center of all is Father. And when you come to say Father, 
then we talk about others who bear the family image. If there's a father, then there are children, and the children bear the family image and the likeness. And when you meet them, you know you can see the father and hear the father. We, we are created in the image and the likeness of God, and God is father, and we were created to be lovers in his image. Um, and a father... And of course, this is so alien to our modern world. But the father gives the identity to the children. We live in a world today that doesn't know who it is. And they're wandering around in meaningless circles trying to find out their identity. And it's because there's a lack of fathers in the land to tell them. Or fathers who themselves don't know who they are and cannot pass it on. But fathers give identity, and we are speaking of the ultimate father who gives our identity that we are his children, and we are thus identified by the voice of the father speaking in us through the Holy Spirit. The father is the one. God the father tells us we are the beloved. We are, we are the beloved of God. The Father tells us that we are his beloved children. The Father. And so it means that when I say Father, I'm immediately projecting a family relationship. Have you ever thought of the Holy Trinity as the original family? The, the, the Father. But then Jesus is the one who actually took our humanity and, and he is then our elder brother have you thought about it like that that we have been birthed into this family where there's father and, and we stand with our elder brother and the holy spirit holding us all together in this dynamic fellowship and communion we're, we're in a family and, and the father not only gives the identity but father gives care. I mean, if we're talking father, father means the nurturer. Father means the provider. Father means the protector. Father means the one who calls us forth to our fullest potential. That um, you, you could say that in a, in a family, the, the child is mentored and called forth and taught by the father it's it. the father's voice is the guiding voice and, and, and carries us through life teaching us over a period of time who we are and who we're not this is it you could say that the father carries a child through teenage years in terms of an apprenticeship um is coaching the child Jesus said, you remember, he says, don't be anxious for anything. And there's, there's a tone in his voice that this is, why on earth, why on earth would you be anxious over anything? He said, why? Because your father knows. And that's all he said. I've often wondered about that. He didn't expound. He just says, father knows. Meaning, if he knows, then you don't have a care in the world. He knows. That's all it takes. You don't have to twist his arm. He's the father who delights to protect, who delights to provide and watch over you. That's who he is. He's the one that his love casts out all fear and torment. And I'm sure 
you've heard before that the word that was used in the New Testament, uh, Abba, and that is the word that is used by the little children. Go to New York City, sit on the subway, and sooner or later in New York City, a Jewish family will come on who who speak that language, and you'll hear the little children. I've watched them climb on their daddy's lap and pull on his beard and say, Abba, Abba, Abba. Um, that, that was the word. The only difference I would have to inject is that they still called them Abba when they were 50 years old. It, it has a great sense of respect and honor as well as intimacy, but it's the word of safety. That there's no fear of, of father. He's my Abba. There's no sense of an abusive, threatening father. Father is absolute safety. Father, Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by me. And they look at him cross-eyed and said, who is the Father? And where is the Father? And how do we get there? It's the cry of those who have lost contact with their Father. And now... When I say lost contact, I, I don't mean they just don't know his address. They, they're, they're not even sure whether they have a father. They don't know who that father is. They're in this terrible, this is the depth of what we call spiritual darkness. They, they didn't know the father, and they didn't know who he was or where he was or how to get there. This is sin. Please get rid of this idea that sin is breaking a bunch of silly commandments. Um, that, that's not, sin in its inception, what was the coming upon the mind, the spirit of man, uh, a profound, intense darkness and blindness. Uh, and it was a blindness that did not know of any other existence outside of his blindness it wasn't that being blind then it would use other senses no this is a blindness that believes the darkness is as good as it gets and therefore invents this terrible other world inside the darkness profound i i have called it in the last couple of weeks dementia and i i keep returning to it because really um, that's what it is. That darkness, and it was so swift once it descended upon humankind, Adam didn't know his father. And, and he said, I was hiding in the bushes. And, and the Lord said, why, why would you be hiding from me? And, and he says, I was afraid, I was afraid. Um that was quick. It wasn't something that gradually Adam forgot. It was wham. And in that darkness, he had forgotten his father. He'd forgotten not only that his father was indeed this loving God, but father just was total confusion to him. And he's hiding. He's dismissed. He's forgotten. He's lost all contact and remembrance of the father. Or to put it another way, the same way, he, he's, he doesn't know his own parent. Doesn't know his parent. Do you remember Isaiah 1? 
um, that was the the first cry of Isaiah. He said, "The the ox, you know, the cows, they they know where they're going to be milked, and they know where they're going to get fed." He said, "Even a donkey knows its master," but he says, "You you've forgotten that you even had a master. You've forgotten his identity. You don't know him. You've lost your parent." As in dementia, you look into the face of your parent and you see something else, and you don't know who this is. And in fact, you've created in many cases an alien monster, some hostile other human than the parent it is. It's been replaced when it comes to this darkness that we call sin. It's been replaced with an invention, an invented God that's born of a satanic lie. An image of a remote God, not Father. That, that the first thing that was put inside that darkness was that he's almighty God. Cower, cringe. He's an abusive father. He'll get you. Huh. That's, I know that the language of religion, but religion is the greatest ambassador of the darkness. It has invented something other than the true God. It, it's brought about a God who... If you talk about that, God is a living nightmare. It's a state of, well, the the word profound is the best word I know, profound ignorance. An ignorance, a separation from the source of life itself. That's why the Bible calls it death. It's not mere physical death. It's death at the deepest level. And so here we are in the darkness and, and, and without identity, I don't know who I am. I look in the mirror. I don't even know who I am, let alone who God is. And I look at you and I have no idea who you are. We're, we're, we're wandering in this terrible insanity. There's no direction. The Bible sums it up with the word futile, meaning going around and around in meaningless circles, seeking for existence because we don't know the father who gives us identity and gives us direction and says this is the way to do it we're alone. the bible again says in ephesians you're alone in the world the terror of aloneness afraid the answer jesus said this text that he, i've heard it preached on a thousand times I am the way, the truth, and the life. Normally, that's where they stop. Actually, I can't remember offhand anyone who went beyond that. I I can also remember some who actually cut out what's there and put in their own interpretation. So I've heard many sermons on I am the way, the truth, and the life. I've heard other sermons that says I am the way, and um, if you say the sinner's prayer, you, you won't go to hell and you'll go to heaven when you die. As if Jesus came to do that, which he didn't. And it's never mentioned in the Bible. But to fully hear it, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The whole jolly text is about the Father and coming to the Father. And he said, I, myself, I am the way. Okay, and I don't want to keep on saying what it isn't, but somehow we've got to get inside our religious heads and shake it loose. 
There is no prayer formula that if you say it properly, you'll come to the Father. There's no, you'll never do that. So stop trying. Stop trying to get to the Father. There is no formula. Jesus didn't say that. So there's no formula of rules, and you know that, but I'm saying it anyway. He didn't give a list of rules, and if you do that, you'll come to the Father. He didn't. Let me say this, and I know I'll get emails on this one, but the Bible is not the way to the Father. I love the Bible. I've memorized the entire New Testament when I was 17. I've almost memorized half the Old Testament. I love it. But don't be stupid enough to say that's the way to the Father. No, Jesus said, I myself, I am the way. The Bible contains the words, I believe, of God in the original manuscript. But Jesus isn't the words of God. He is the word of God, of which the words are merely commentating on him. He is the word, and he is the way. Nor did he say that I'll give you the best example, and if you do what I do, you'll get there. Uh, You know, that would mean that Christianity was sitting there thinking, what would Jesus do? I don't have no clue. You see, because he didn't give us an example. He said it. That I am is very, very emphatic. I am himself. Not merely an example. Not merely a few words he said. Himself. Himself. I am the way. It's not even believing right doctrine. I think doctrine is very important. I am a theologian. But I'm not stupid enough to think that if you don't cross the right T and dot the right I, that you don't get it. I know many people that know the Father and spend their life trying to fit their doctrine to fit their experience because they know him, but they don't know how to say it. No. I've just said a mouthful right there, but having said it, I'll leave it. Um, he himself, Jesus, God incarnate god inside our humanity stands before us sent by the father in order to himself be the way to the father you, you've heard a story I'm, I'm pretty certain i've told it enough times when i was somewhere in africa and, and i had to get to another village and it was pretty well trackless through the jungle and I asked the missionary for a compass and map and show me directions how to get there. And he said, no, no. And he called over this little kid. Couldn't have been more than 10, standing there in a loincloth. He under, the kid understood English, and he'd been sort of listening. And the kid came up to me, and in good African style, he, he said, pa, which is their great respect, pa, I am the map. I am the path. I am the compass. Follow me. And the kid marched off into the jungle and I followed him because he was it. You see, he, he, he didn't say now here are the directions. He, he didn't say now watch and, and imitate. He just said, I am. I am the path. He didn't know what he was saying, but it was the truth. He, that, that's what Jesus said. I'm not I'm not, Jesus, I'm not giving you a religion. I'm not, Jesus didn't give us a denomination. He gave us himself. And he said, I myself. 
You know how John 1 describes it? He's face to face with the Father. Face to face. All that the Father is, is poured into him, the Son. All that he is, is poured into the Father. And we have, you know, what is understood out of the whole New Testament, that God is three persons, three real persons. But they are absolutely one, bound together. And it's called face to face, eye to eye, life to life. And the Father sends the Son. And the Son, of course, is part of that sending. He chooses to go. And the Holy Spirit chooses to make it happen. The, the, the three in one have one desire. And that one desire was to bring us, the creation, into the whole family of the Holy Trinity, that we should participate in the love of God even as the Father and Son participate together. That's why he created us. And it was given to Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, that he would come and he would join us. Can I... How can I put it? See, the Bible says the Father and the Son are in each other. And I can say that very quickly, and you can nod very quickly, but do we have a clue what we're talking about? It is saying that there is an intimacy not of side by side. It's an intimacy where the one totally stands inside the other, and the other stands inside yet they do not lose their identity. So the Father, as I said, gives himself into the Son, but he remains the Father. And the Son receives, but also gives himself into the Father, but remains the Son, and likewise the Spirit. That, that is in, in, one. And that is what we mean by Trinity, unity, one, and yet there's two, but, but they're utterly one. Now, do you hear what I'm saying here? That the Son is commissioned, is sent on a mission, and that is to get hold of you and bring you into that relationship. Well, when I say sent, I don't mean he packed his bags and said to the Father, I'll be back in 30 years. The Son can't go anywhere without the Father. The Father cannot be without the Son or Spirit. And so when... The Son comes, he comes, and what does he do? He comes in to our human, in, in. And he comes in, and he brings us into him. So we have in Jesus, he who is God, who is 100% man at the same time. Oh, but just a minute, he's still in the Father, and he's still in the Spirit, and so when he comes, he brings to us relation. He doesn't come to give us rules. He came to bring the relationship of Father and Son and Holy Spirit. He came to give us that dynamic love, passionate, giving love of God into us. And when he came into us, he brought the Father with him. Does that make any sense? 
That's what he came for. This is the gospel, that you who are a creature, you who are human, who had a beginning, you who go to bed exhausted at night, you who have to have breakfast in the morning, creature. And it was the design and the intention of the Father and the Son and the Spirit that they should be in you and you be in them, which means you are now participating in the love the Father has for the Son and the Son to the Father. It's love, relationship. And so Jesus will say in just a few verses after the one we quoted, he said, in that day which meant when he rose from the dead, he said, you will know that I'm in the Father. You'll finally discover who I am. But he said, at the same time, you will know that I am in you, and you are in me. And you have this wonderful, glorious, tangled, the Father's in Jesus, Jesus in me, and I'm in him, and we're held in the Holy Spirit. But that's who you are. And as I said last week, this is not a deeper level. This is not having some great new experience. This is 101. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus came to do. And that's, I know that's radical because I've just given Jesus a place that the church doesn't give him. Uh, Jesus, at least as I was raised, I, I, I don't know if I ever knew where he came from. He sort of came, uh, he just turned up and um, he sort of center stage. Uh, no one wanted to talk about the Father. That's sort of, I'm not sure about the Father. But Jesus, Jesus is nice. And Jesus showed up. And it's sort of the end in himself. So if you want to be Christian, you have to ask Jesus to come into your heart. Well, what happens then? You don't go to hell. Okay, that's it. Done, finished. Where, where's the father? Oh, I, I don't know. The, the father's the interferer. The father, well, you know, if he ever gets his hands on you, watch out. Uh, never say, I want that, because you know father, he'll grab it out of your hands. I was raised with that. Yeah. No, it's radical. It places Jesus as the one who comes with full oneness with the intent. The Father sends him, but he's the one who is part of that sending. He chooses to come. <laughs> it's just not a, a baby in a manger. It is God the Son, the creator of the universe, has now actually become one of his creatures. <laughs> That's amazing. amazing. And he's not an end in himself. He is that I've come to open your eyes to see the Father. I've come to show you who the Father is, and I'm going to return you to sanity, and I'm going to bring you home to the relationship you were created for with the Father. Jesus didn't come to give us a passport to an impersonal heaven. I was in... The airport flew by going, this little, oh, I won't say who she looked like, but um, 
God bless her, sweet little kid. But she came up and, I, you know, you're about to step onto a plane that's going to take you to 45,000 feet. And she said, are you ready to die? Well, it's the last thing I want to think about at that point. Um, and I, I said, you know, what, what do you mean? She said, well, um, do, do you want to go to heaven when you die? What What's heaven? What is, and the more I pressed her, what is heaven? She never mentioned once that it is the totality of the presence of God. Heaven somehow was a sort of uh, very self-centered happiness. Um, I've avoided all the bad stuff. I haven't gone to hell. And, and I'm going to go to heaven, which is all the good stuff. And um, But no mention whatsoever of God even, let alone who is Father. It, it sounded like an everlasting continuance of my dementia. <laughs> I'd be in the play. I still don't know who Father is. In fact, I didn't even go there to meet him. It's a sort of place. It's, um, you know, um, Cheryl came to Bandera because we were married. She didn't just come to Bandera, if you follow what I mean. I, I was the reason of Bandera. Um, do, do you get it? I, I, I don't want to go to heaven, just with heaven, whatever that is. Always in the Bible it is you're going to a person, not a person, but your father who loves you and you'll be there with your elder brother Jesus, all in the Holy Spirit. I am the way. Which, of course, says if he's the way, well, at this point you don't know the way. And therefore, at this point, you're in the illusion of separation. You don't know the way back to the Father. I am the way. I have come to bring you to that relationship with the Father. He doesn't come just to give you a thing called forgiveness of sins or a thing called the baptism of the Spirit. He comes to bring a relationship, the in, in, and you're in the middle of that. That's what he comes to give. That's what about Jesus has enjoyed that from unbeginning, from before there was creation. Now he has come deliberately and joined us to become himself the path, carrying us to the Father. So here is not an angry God, not a punishing God, but God who is love, who comes in Jesus Christ to save us from our insanity. He comes inside our brokenness. I've used that term a lot recently, but let me one more time get into it. He came inside. Can, can I comprehend it that God who created us, God who is himself, the blueprint of our existence, he now comes to join us in our darkness. You remember I've said this before, that he didn't come. Okay, put it this way. We are in some kind of nightmare of an insane home, if you want to put it that way. We, we live in insanity. It's an insanity where everybody there is in their own dementia. 
and this hideous place, this place of wailing and anxiety and fears and horrors and rage and anger. And that's our life. That, that's where we live. Jesus didn't come as a visitor to the insane asylum. Jesus is not the chaplain to the insane asylum. He, when he was born into the human race, he became one of the patients. And he got inside our darkness so that he looked out and saw what we see. The horror of it. He looked out and he saw how we see his father. And he heard through his ears the torment and the agony. And he knew assailing him the lies of Satan that says you're an orphan, you're alone, you don't have a father. There wasn't one part of our darkness that he didn't take and know for himself. But he never ceased to be the father's son. And therefore he always knew. And he refused to believe the lies he saw. And he refused to believe the lies he heard. He refused to believe in the darkness. What did that do? He's inside a place where dementia is the order of the day. I mean, can you think about it? In such an insane asylum, as they gather round one who has come up with this great invention... I know we don't have a father, of course not. We, we have an ape. We, we have a chimpanzee as our father. And everybody says, oh, make him a double PhD. This is him. What a revelation he's had. We're, we're just sophisticated monkeys. Oh, this is wonderful. You talk about dementia. You look at your father and see a monkey. And, and Jesus comes into that and says... I see the, the pain of what you're saying, but it's not true. You, you, I come from the Father, and I come to reveal the Father. He comes inside our nightmare and turns on the lights and says, Hush, it's okay. It's a lie. It's a lie. The light declaring truth. And he showed us our identity and spoke of us as the beloved children of the Father. chosen path of the father to bring us home he says i am the truth and again it's i myself truth uh, uh, maybe a better word here is reality he, he is the reality he is that is he's not talking about god he's not talking about someone he calls father he says, and the Greek word is very strong, he says he came out from the Father. And the Greek word ek, I mean, there's no doubt about it. It means, you could say, out of the guts of. It, it, that is, I, I'm not standing beside him telling you what I see. I'm not a prophet, that is, that I had this word and that word and I'm sharing that with you. No, he says, huh, I come from, even as a word comes out of my mouth, and that word is the final truth about me. Well, he's that word. He comes and he is the final truth about the Father. And, and, and he said, I am the truth. I'm the only one. What a statement. Matthew 11. He said, no one 
No one knows the Father except me, the Son. He said, anyone gone before us, and you've got to include Abraham and Moses and all the prophets. He says, they had a bit. They had a bit here and a bit there. They saw this, they saw that. But they didn't know the Father. I come out from the Father. I, I don't, he doesn't have to tell me about himself because we are so close face to face. I know him. Or as in John 1, it, it says another expression, he's in the bosom of the Father. That is an intimacy that couldn't be improved upon. And so he doesn't come to tell us about God. He said he is God, God himself, uniting with us, into us, and putting inside of us what he knows of the Father. So he said, no one knows the Father except the Son and those that I, I tell. That is, if, if you'll ever know the Father, you've got to come to me because I'm the only one who knows. Huh. Could I just throw this out? If you're worshipping a God that doesn't look exactly like Jesus, you're worshipping a false God. Chew on that for a few days. <laughs> and he, he's the reality not only of who Father is, but then he's the reality of who we are. You see, uh, um, he became one of us. So he assumes then, as, as a creature looks at his Father, since I'm beginning he's been the Son with the Father, but now he's joined us and says, I look out of your eyes to the Father and, and look at me and you'll see yourself. He said, this is what you were created to be. You were created to be God indwelt. You were created to know the Father as I know the Father. So he said, look at me. The word, the final word of the Father. Look at me. I am the very essence of of which will give you liberty and freedom in knowing who you really are. You know, there's um, this is the the Mirror Bible, and um, the, the Francois knows his Greek. Let me read this from uh, James chapter one in the Mirror Bible. Give the word, and of course, see when it says the word, it doesn't mean the Bible. You please understand that, because uh, there was no Bible. <laughs> James couldn't be talking about the Bible, because there was no Bible. Well, the Word, give the Word. What's the Word? It's Jesus. He is saying this, this one who is God inside our human. Give him your undivided attention. Do not underestimate yourself. Make the calculation. There can only be one logical conclusion your authentic origin is mirrored in Jesus the Word. Then he goes on and says, the difference between a mere spectator and a participator is that both of them hear the same voice and perceive in its message the face of their own genesis or origin reflected as in a mirror. Do, do you hear me? He says, look at Jesus. 
And what you see, everybody sees. But he says, what you see there is a human being. Jesus, a real, genuine human being. Yet at the same time, a human being, one with the Father. He said, look at that. You're looking at that. He came to show you. He's the truth. He came to show you. Well, he says, as you both look at that, both of you realize that you're looking at themselves. But for one of them, one of those looking, it seems just too good to be true. I know that look. As I'm preaching many times, what comes back to me is you've got to be kidding. Too good to be true. Well, this person who says that, he departs back to the old way of seeing who he is immediately forgets what manner of person he really is, never giving another thought to the one that he saw in the mirror. The other one, the other person, is mesmerized by what he sees. They're captivated by the effect of a law that frees a person from the obligation to old written codes and laws that restricted one to their own efforts and willpower. No distraction or contradiction can dim the impact of what is seen in that mirror. I've seen myself in the face of Jesus Christ. Now frees everyone to get on with the act of living the life of their original design. Does, do you hear what I'm saying? We, we look at Jesus, the Word. And as I look there, I not only see the Father, but seeing the Father, I realize... I was created to be his son, his daughter. And here Jesus is revealing to me what that looks like. A human being, a genuine human being. But a human being who is inside, in one with the Father. But he said, I am the life. And again, I myself am the life. That is... Life is not mere physical life. Life is union with Jesus, who is union with the Father. Do you remember, eternal life is defined. Again, eternal life. Back to forever and ever. Um, John seventeen three. it says, this is eternal life. Like a dictionary definition, this is eternal life. Colon that they might know you, the Father, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And the word know there is the word that is used to describe a marriage relationship. And so it is saying eternal life is in knowing union with the Father and with the Son. Christ is our life. He's our very life, even as he is the reality of who the Father is, the reality of who I am. And he himself is the way to get there. Because he came to carry me there. Life is in this perfect fellowship of love. It's the perfect love that casts out all fear. It's the love of the Father to me, the love of the Father in me, and my response as a son joined to him in Jesus, trusting nakedly. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes 
to the Father comes out of the darkness, out of this insanity, out of the dementia, out of the darkness we come. And we come through him who joined us in the asylum but came in order to reveal the truth, be the light of that darkness and carry us out in him and take us home. That was the cross. Jesus entered into darkness. The cross and all the sufferings of Jesus, we talked about it months ago, that in that, Jesus deliberately entered into union with humankind at our very worst. It's a fantastic story. I feel like preaching that sermon all over again. Um, and it hinges, you know, he answered them never a word. That doesn't make sense. If, if you pile up lies against me, if, if in a court situation you tell nothing but lies, what do I do? I get an attorney to refute you and say that isn't so. I have nothing to do with this person that is telling these lies about me. I want nothing to do with them. They are telling lies. I stand up against it. If I'm in a position, I threaten them. And I say, if you continue doing this and this and this and this is going to happen. Jesus, the ultimate lies and the ultimate wickedness and cruelty were hurled against him. And he says, never a word. I mean, what's he doing? Instead of saying, no, that's not me, he rather says, I take it. He entered into a union. The in, he cut inside our darkness at our worst. You meet a person who says, I, I've sinned, I could never be forgiven. Well, have you ever tried to kill and torture God while you killed him? Because that's been done. And in the middle of it, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He came and he laid hold upon us. He accepted every word we said, every act we committed. He accepted it as his own until he had forged a relationship at or very worst. And then, by his own intention, he joined us in, in the ultimate death, which is almost beyond comprehension, that he himself knew what it felt like to have no father. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, of course, that's another story, but the psalm he quoted goes on to say, the Father hadn't forsaken him at all, never left him. And Jesus knew that, but he couldn't feel it. He couldn't see it. He'd come where we were, became as us. And he stepped into that darkness of unknowing death until he was absolutely us and where we were. And in resurrection... He carried us as people born. And so it says in 1 Peter 1, 3, that, that we were born from above in the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus comes out in resurrection. His death has died. Darkness has been exposed. The lies have been exposed and shredded. And he brings us out. We are in him. Because he got 
into us at our worst. Now, having brought us out, he carries us in ascending. He said, I'm ascending to my father and your father. We're going home together. And, and what you have there is in the parables, he says the shepherd now comes home. He's got the sheep on his shoulders and he's going nuts and he's doing a jig and he's saying, rejoice with me. I found my sheep. I found my sheep. Jesus is coming home to the Father. It's resurrection morning and he's ascending and he's coming home and he says, I'm home. Rejoice with me. I have found. My, I've got him. He took us to the Father. He, he's that woman who, who put her hand down into the dirt and filth and, and picked up the coin and then called her neighbors like an idiot and said, Rejoice with me. I found it. I found it. My coin. Oh, best of all, of course, Jesus portrays himself, in fact, as the one who joined us with the pigs. He became the prodigal. And he rose, or as it says in the parable, um, I will arise. And that word used there is for resurrection. I will arise and go to my father. And, and of course, the prodigal goes with him. And, and he carries the prodigal in himself to the father. And the father grabs hold of his son, but he also grabs hold of the prodigal and says, you are my son. And in the ascension, God the Father grabbed hold of you and said, You're home. I got you. Out of the darkness, I've got you. You are my son. And together, it says, they went into the feast, father and son. Um, that, that's the gospel. It's the gospel. We, we come to the Father. We come. And, and the Father loves us. Let me give you another one. His, this is the Passion Translation. Well, it's not a translation. It's more a paraphrase. But um, li listen to this. Th this is at the end of where we started. The beginning of the conversation was chapter 14. And it ends in chapter 17 when Jesus prays and prays for us. He said, I ask not only for these disciples, but also for all those who will come one day, to believe in me through their message. I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us. See, I didn't make it up. That's what Jesus was praying. So that the world will recognize that you did send me. For the very glory you have given to me, I have given to them so that they will be joined together as one, experience the same unity that we enjoy. You live fully in me. Now I live fully in them so that they will experience perfect unity. For they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. Then he goes on. Because you have loved me even before the beginning of time. He says, he set his love on you the same as on the Son. 
from the beginning of time that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me. For your love will now live in them even as I live in them. Look, how can I put this? You, you haven't become Jesus. You haven't become God's. But you are now in Jesus, which is so real that you experience everything that Jesus experiences. Could I put it like this? When God became human in Jesus, he experienced everything humans experience. So much so, do you remember that when he announced who he was in Nazareth, the townspeople got very mad. And they said, who do you think you are? We've lived you, with you for 30 years. We know who you are. You're the carpenter. So doesn't that tell you something? That he was so one of us. He, but he never ceased to be God the Son. Okay, now you in him fully experience everything that he has in his relationship to the Father. But you never cease to be human. It's a shared relationship. And that was the plan of the Father. It isn't um, that he kind of sneaks you in. <laughs> I heard that right down there in American Airlines Auditorium. Some of you were there when unnamed evangelist said, God the Father is disgusted with you. He hates you. He can't stand the sight of you. But Jesus came and he put his righteousness over you so the Father couldn't see you and he snuck you into heaven before the Father knew it. And everybody stood and clapped. They thought that was the greatest word. That is blasphemy. But no, the Father planned it this way. This is, this is the way God, in his infinite wisdom, is going to get a creature like you and I to sit down inside the Holy Trinity and experience total acceptance, inclusion. That's the way it is. Um, that's coming to the Father. It's coming to the Father. Um, the word coming, I mean, do I have to explain it? But I will that the word is used all through the New Testament, but it is used to describe uh, coming to a dwelling, of arriving somewhere and being now present. So you came to this building this morning. That's the same word. You came here. Well, you came and now you're here and you're sitting down. And I will say afterwards, I'm glad you came that's the word. You come to the Father. It means you really come and you sit down inside that relationship. You're at home. You're there. You've arrived. It was used of Jesus when he said, I will come and heal. He went from where he was. He came to the sick person and healed them. Now he says, you will come to the Father. It's, that's how real it is. Uh, it's also used of uh, describing a person who came to dinner. 
And so they came to dinner. They sat down. They're now present, eating the dinner, participating. Okay? You were united inside of Jesus by sheer gift and love. And where he goes now, you go. His history is your. He comes to the Father. You come. The Father says, my son. And he said it to you too. Arrived. That's it, you see. Um, Shared with us. And it says in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit now witnesses with our spirit that we're the children of God. The Holy Spirit who makes all of this that I'm talking about happen. That's his, shall I say, work in the Holy Trinity. He takes that love of God and pours it out inside and connects you. And he witnesses inside, which means you know that you know that this is the reality. Look, I, I, I nearly didn't give it, but obviously I'm about to give it. Um, I, I'm, I hesitate because it is not a final illustration by any means. So don't start trying to fit this into what I've just said. But to get an idea, that's it, that's it. And it, it hit me in the last week, very, very much so. We were in Houston this last week. Long story, but enough to say we were there. And so we went to uh, Cheryl's daughter and son-in-law. And um, I realized, I I was just sitting there lounging in, in their living room, that if I had been walking on the street as a stranger, as I would have done a year ago, and I had just gone up to their front door, pushed it open, and then sprawled down on the sofa, um, they might have called the police. Uh, I had absolutely no right whatsoever to be there. But three months ago, I was married to Cheryl, which is incidentally used all through the scripture with that word in, and no, it's describing marriage. Um, and I now have this relationship with Cheryl. What happened was I instantly shared in her relationships to the whole family. And the whole family instantly had relationship with me because I was in Cheryl. Does that... I had absolutely no way of getting there. There, How on earth could I ever call these people friends, let alone be casual and part of the family? I couldn't. But once I was joined with Cheryl, then I now shared totally all of her relationships to the family. Now, as I say, don't run with that because it doesn't fit all the way around. But you were joined with Jesus. That's the meaning of the incarnation. You were joined with Jesus. That's the meaning of his cross, his bloodshed. 
you were joined with Jesus. That's the meaning of the resurrection and ascension. And it means that now you have all the relationship with the Father that Jesus has. You know the Holy Spirit even as Jesus knew the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now you're in the middle. And you're there not because as a passing stranger that said, look, I've done a lot of good things. I think I have a right to come in. Um, it's got nothing to do with it. It's not, it's not an earned position. It's a relational position. And we're put into Christ, even as I am in Cheryl. So in Cheryl means I now have total acceptance within all of her acceptance. I'm included with all her inclusions. And, well, with Jesus, that takes on some enormous thought, but that's absolutely what the New Testament says. But he says, as he is, so are we in this world. We have been joined. He is the head, we're the body. Where the head is, there's the body. The acceptance of the head is the acceptance of the body. It's, that's what it's about. We come to the Father in Christ. We, we share his relationship to the Father. We enjoy the same relationship that he has with Jesus. He loves us with the same love that he has for Jesus. We see him through the eyes of Jesus as our beloved father, and we're accepted. And that's why in the midst of all things, it says we give thanks to the father, because we know whatever's going on in life, father not only has care of it, but he's instructing us on how to walk through it. That is the meaning of prayer. Prayer is not magic saying in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. No, in the name of Jesus means I sat in that house in Houston in the name of Cheryl. That's what that word it doesn't. Didn't, I didn't sit there saying in the name of Cheryl, in the name of Cheryl, in the name of Cheryl. No, <laughs> you get it, you get it. It's, it's what the word means. It's relational. And now we ask of the Father with the same boldness as Jesus. We, we now have entered into his life with the Father. Well, there it is. Um, there it is. Um, welcome home. Wait, wake up to your true home in the heart of the Father. Yes, Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the rest and the peace, the joy, the contentment that we have as we rest in you in Christ Jesus. And we rest in the fact that you planned it, you wanted it, you did it. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we are called the children of God. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Holy Spirit, do your work as you do it best. Your genius, your creative genius of making this real to each one of us, just where we are. We give you thanks.